I'm Professor Neil Feinstein, and this is Conversations with the Creators, sponsored by St. John's Master's Program in Integrated Advertising Communications. Ideas thrive here. Today we're talking about fake news, and I couldn't think of anyone to give us a better perspective on this topic than my colleague, Dr. Elizabeth Fondren. She is a multi-award-winning professor in our journalism program, but wait, but what makes her so fascinating to listen to is her research credentials. Elizabeth focuses on propaganda, specifically in World Wars I and II, and there are many who consider fake news a form of propaganda in the 21st century. Looking at all the awards you've won, all the conferences you spoke at, Elizabeth, I feel honored that you could find time to speak with me. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Neil. It's a pleasure. So let's start, let's start at the beginning. Tell me, how would you define fake news? Yes, that's a really interesting question because the term is certainly much more complex than just those two words. So fake news traditionally in the journalism research is um, news that's um, cloaked as facts, but it is actually information that's used strategically to uh, persuade people and to, um, we could say, manipulate them to do certain things, um, buy something, um, give money, vote, and to um, those who create fake news um, are usually people who have an intention to persuade or manipulate people. Um, so, so propaganda manipulates people, right, in, in a positive way, in a negative way. You know, just give us a little bit of a historical perspective. Since you've done so much research in propaganda, probably the most fascinating time <laughs> for propaganda. Talk a little bit about that. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm really interested in um, the history of propaganda and especially how it was used strategically during World War One and World War Two, to... Um, persuade publics, but really also to communicate messages that were, you know, traditionally um, not perhaps um, at the top of people's agenda. So um, one of the things that, um, you know, makes the study of propaganda so relevant today is really the proliferation of misinformation, disinformation, and fake news online. But there, you know, there have always been instances where people um, used information in the way that they used it as a weapon. So especially, you know, as I said, my interest is really, uh, really in media and conflict, and information or intelligence can be used as a weapon uh, to shape narratives, but also to create myths, um, to create rumors, to make people you know, really incite patriotism, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, to really communicate why it is important that the public should care about a political person or a cause or um, this theme of why we should fight. I mean, um, so yeah, I'm really interested in kind of the parallels between this historical um, emergence of propaganda in the early 20th century and uh, the conversation today. So, so, so yeah, in, in the world we live in now, people are weaponizing, I love that mm -hmm. phrase, weaponizing information and, that, and then calling it fake news 
or yes. or using fake news as as the as the moniker for that weapon. Mm-hmm. Yes. What is the difference then between fake news? Is there a difference between fake news and information? Definitely. Yes, definitely. Um, I would say we can, you know, in um, understanding what is fake news, we should say or agree that fake news is not does not mean it's mistakes in journalist re- reporting, uh, unintentional um, uh, flapses and saying, you know, you get a name wrong or you get an, a, a date wrong or uh, you forget something. It, it's really this um, intentional use of um, information and that of course includes withholding information. So one of the um, really important kind of conceptualizations of propaganda is that it includes both the provision of information but also the censorship of information and we see how during the COVID pandemic many countries, authoritarian countries, use censorship measures to again strategically frame the narrative and withhold information or we would say truths about um, the risks so that it was easier for people who were skeptical or governments who were skeptical to say, you know, all of this is a hoax, it's fake, it's, um, it's, it's not real. So the difference really is between intentional use of media and unintentional and then this, um, this um, understanding that propaganda is both provision and also so if I, censoring so information. If, so if I withhold information, does that make it fake, or is that just simply the manipulation of data, of data, of information? <laughs> it's certainly part of it. Okay. Uh, it's certainly um, this deliberate um, trying to be in control of the, you know, vast uh, amount of discourses. I mean, we see this on Twitter. There's um, research coming out that shows how much Twitter actually reinforces the filter bubbles, the echo chamber that people are in, and how you know, again, from political communication research, we know that people like to um, engage with and share news that confirms with their pre-held beliefs and that also they really look towards opinion leaders and elites in their network. So this idea of who shares what becomes really, really important when we look at fake news and how it can be used as propaganda. But can't that, can't that just be positioning like there may be the same fact and a conservative may say it one way and highlight its its implication in one way whereas the same fact might be used in a different way by a liberal and they're both right because they're both on the same fact. <laughs> yes, I, I love that. I think that that's when we have to look at the context, right? Okay. And that's also where I would like to um, just, you know, really highlight the importance of journalism, how important it is to have independent fact checkers, you know, professional journalists come in and really help us, the public, understand these are the different contexts in which this term or this claim was used but this is how this other context is different. And here might be the, the reasons for why this information is used that way. So it's really um, trying to peel back the layers <laughs> of um, like this information onion <laughs> yeah, and yeah, trying yeah. to understand why and, and, and how. So I guess that, you know, in, in advertising, we're always concerned with what is the motivation. If mm-hmm. I'm in my social media echo chamber and I am constantly served, the algorithms are constantly serving up uh, 
um, content. Let's call it content because that's neither. There's no. Yeah. There's no um, bias to that yes. word. It is what it is. It's content that supports my opinion. Mm-hmm. What motivation do I have to start peeling back that onion? Probably do, very little. Right, I mean, right. Um, have you heard about the third-person effect? That's the no. uh, theory that people, they always feel that, um, you know, they're more informed or more comfortable in understanding information than the rest. So right. they feel that, you know, I'm not persuaded by this or I'm not mm-hmm. impacted. But other people are. But um, what my research on propaganda shows that there's a certain... Um, again, motivation of those who create fake news and um, misinformation to try to really overwhelm that mm-hmm. public discussion and that infosphere with, um, yeah, overwhelm it with just this um, vast amount of information. So I give you an example. Um, one of the projects I'm working on right now is a study of what were two propaganda pamphlets Mm -hmm. that were um, dropped from planes over Germany uh, during World War II. By by the Allies. By the Allies. Um, And um, that type of, you know, the technique, it it changed in that it became more sophisticated. But also, uh, we see that, um, or we know that... um, it was not necessarily effective, right? Because right. it's very hard to measure the effect of um, media or propaganda. So, for example, the Allies, after the end of World War II, they went into small villages and bigger towns and they did public opinion surveys with Germans and asked them, you know, were you in contact with mm. Allied leaflets? Yes, no. What were the messages you remember? Did seeing this information make you change your mind? Right, and um, so this comes from the U.S. Army's records, and um, it really gets back to this idea that um, you know we want to understand what makes people change their views, and how can we build our expert, or you know, from a propaganda standpoint of view, how can they build their expertise in reaching. Um, people and I think that you know today we would agree that it is on um, social media course, and via yes, the internet yes, yes. Um, but there's a, like this in um, there's this um, yeah really this uh, motivation for propagandists to adopt new technologies even though they never admit it um, history historical research shows us in uh, journalism and political communication that propagandists are almost always the early adapters of um, modern communication so I think that is just really important to keep in mind so, so it's interesting to me because if fake news is being served to me in my echo chamber I have a very low hurdle to get over because I'm going to believe it mm-hmm. and and if it's salacious enough I'm going to pass it along yeah whereas propaganda you know, like allies dropping leaflets on Germans saying you're losing the war. Mm. Well, you know, I don't see that from yes. my point of view. That has a very high hurdle yes. and, and won't get passed along and won't be discussed. Yes. So, um, so, is, so, is, so is fake news subjective or objective? That's a, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a great question. I think that we just have to distinguish between 
um, this type of you know war propaganda you know trying to make people surrender mm-hmm. um, I just you know want to mention some of the leaflets actually were um, safe conduct passes for German soldiers where you know it was printed on there how to pronounce I surrender in English and it's spelled it out phonetically it says oh, you wow. know, say it and yeah. then we will uh, you will be safe and you'll go you become a prisoner of war right. so right. again language um, but in terms of the echo chamber, I think, and I, I, I worry about this, especially with my students, you know, that there's a certain feeling of um, um, just disengagement because it, it almost as it is almost as if that is now um, just a you know accepted um, wow. a dimension that there is fake information and bots and like memes and and, and automated. Yeah. Um, um, automated content, but I would push back against that very heavily and just say that um, in a democracy, you know, we have, we should have um, this incentive to actually try to, yeah, just have an idea of what information we're consuming and sharing, and that, you know, that really look that relates to um, what can we do about <laughs> um, fake news and. I feel like as a consumer, we are we are bombarded with news, information, content all day long in the world we live in that we have defe- developed reflexive filters mm-hmm. that allow us to quickly say, I'm going to pay attention to that, I'm going to ignore this, I'm going to ignore that, I'm going to ignore those things. Mm-hmm. Just even the proliferation of marketing messages, you know, student people, everybody gets 5,000 marketing messages a day, yet nobody can remember what marketing message they got yesterday. And I may very well care about what sneakers I'm wearing. Why should I care about the news? Why should I care about the news that doesn't even reinforce and what reinforce what I believe? And why should I go and investigate those things that I have very li- so again I come back to what is my motivation yes. to want to peel that onion yes I, <laughs> <laughs> I like that um, I would say that um, yeah that it, you know everybody is um, you know has con- is confined for time and just also yeah. um, interest to you know go about their day and just always being critical mm-hmm. of every information they read but I think that some types of information are really just let's say more important that we get it right, especially political information, that might be more important than saying, you know, I'm going to buy this sneaker or, you know, I'm gonna book this Airbnb cottage over this one. Um, Because it's, you know, research shows that um, misinformation is a real threat on the electoral process. And then, you know, how we we vote, what information we're exposed to. Um, And um, I think that it's it's just a fact we have to come to terms with that misinformation gets yeah. a lot of clicks and there's yeah. you know in the media um, economy attention economy the more outrageous something is the more it will be viewed um, mm. we see this on for example on Facebook with live streamed events and often very uh, horrific incidents and so there's been this whole debate about what do platforms, what can they do? You know, will they self-police themselves? Will they regulate? Yeah. What about policy? And um, this whole discussion, of course, becomes even more important when we think about hate speech. Right. And um, again, propaganda cloaked 
um, in just you know rumors and um, how can we um, make sure that people see information that is you know truthful but also has an element of humanity where we're not you know waking up and we see like people um, being harassed. And so tell so tell me what do I do? What do I do every day? <laughs> I you know I I, I I open up my social media. I'm uh, you know I'm on the bus. I'm looking yeah. at my phone yeah. and. How do I how do I solve yes. or how do I insulate myself from mm -hmm. this? I think that just um, you know we know that most Americans get their news from social media. Right. Um, this is, comes from the Pew Research Center, and actually over eighty percent of Americans get their news on their phones. So the presentation of um, let's say just you know news stories. Um, is even more difficult because you have such a small, um, yeah, just such a small screen. And then this imperative of, you know, go about your day and be critical and be a good citizen, right, right. It's, it's hard to achieve. Yeah. I would say, um, and I, this is what I tell my students, to really identify journalists and opinion leaders that you trust and have vetted. And they might be, you know, they might be in your community or they might be educators, they might be... Uh, Politicians, but they're people who have an interest of providing and contributing to civil discourse and not trying to, you know, make or not to use information to, 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 um, yeah, incite this um, anxiety about, uh, <laughs> you know, people's lives and, 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 and their, their jobs. So I would say, you know, identify opinion leaders that you trust. And then um, look at what they're what they're talking about, what they're sharing, um, and then you too can become an opinion leader in your own, you know, for your own followers, right? Uh, you can build trust, and that's one thing that we know in journalism. You know, there is this um, kind of this tendency to say um, all news is fake, or that you know that it's it's not it's not true, but. Uh, Journalism studies actually show that journalists can rebuild trust with audiences by continuously um, working on this um, this topic of, of being um, truthful and objective. Um, um, spectators, but also taking a stance and saying, you know, in in our democracy, we know that words matter and mm -hmm. we don't want that that really changes that people can just you know call something fake and then you know that's the end of it we right. really want to have this kind of civil discourse and again I really think that it comes back to education I, I think I, I mean in some cases it, the, you know the answer is simply a click away you look yes. at look at the source of the of this piece of information and determine if that's an important and if you've got your if you've got your trusted journalists, your trusted um, information providers, mm -hmm. it makes something. Yes. It makes it makes it a little bit easier. Yes, I love that. A click away or, you know, a click that you um, you just click on, right? Right, right. Exactly, <laughs> um. exactly. I heard somewhere where, the, where some of the social media platforms are thinking of surrounding a story with other related stories mm -hmm. that, again, are a click away yes. or that provide, uh, yes. that provide content context for the content right, that, yes. you're, that you're reading um, yes. and I always have a I, I, I bring, I'm back to a conversation I have with another one of our colleagues 
about you know when does a rumor become a piece of fact? Well, you just have to have two corroborating sources mm -hmm. yeah. for that. <laughs> yes. Two, so then maybe you're just two clicks away to get yes. that corroboration. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, that's true. I mean, and, and again, you know, rumors sometimes can be used or have been used in U.S. history as um, tools of propaganda during World War II. You know, there was what was called a, a, a rumor campaign that, you know, propagandists would um, try to find out what did people in different parts of the country think about, right. you know, possible involvement of the war, and then that information was reported back to Washington. And, um, you know, it was, it was tried to analyze how people think and what might change their opinions. Yeah. Changing opinions is hard. <laughs> yeah. so, if, so with that, tell me, what is the one piece of advice that you have that anybody who's gotten this far in the podcast must take out their pen and write down <laughs> at this very moment? I think that, you know, just this um, critical awareness that misinformation and um, attempts to really disarm us are not going away. They're probably going to intensify. Um, so for advice, I would say, um, you know, start really, you know, be critical, look at what Neil said, you know, if it's just comes from, if the information comes from one, one person, it's, it's, it's probably just an opinion, you know, how can it be a fact? But then, um, looking at who is the source and um, what might be their motivation, you know, are there any links, are there images that perhaps have been doctored, um, what are the URLs, and, um, you know, more importantly, how can we actually share this knowledge about fake news to our students, people that are younger than us, people who are older than us, to say, you know, not all information that you read online is truthful and that there are people who actually will um, use information as a way to get into people's minds and try to manipulate them. So that would be my advice. <laughs> so so, so um, be critical. Yes. One, uh, be critical. Use your, all the critical thinking skills yes. that we're teaching them here in college, use that all the time in yes. the world. That we're yes, and, and talk about it, right? Yeah. Say that talk this is really, um, you know, this is really an important topic because as more and more people will simply engage with journalism or news online, right, it, it, it makes it so much more immediate for people to fall for this, um, you know, like you said, a click clickbait or um, information that um, might actually mislead them. So I am so glad we had this civil discourse. <laughs> Thank you so much for making you, time for, for our wonderful St. John's students that we share. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this has been Conversations with the Creators, sponsored by St. John's Master's Program in Integrated Advertising Communications. Thanks to all our guests, my colleagues Professor Audrey Siegel Mavora, Kevin James, Christine Munk, and our producer Miriam Prever. Keep on ideating.